welcome to the Elementary Literacy Show. My name is Zach Chase. I'm the Language Arts Coordinator here in St. Fran Valley Schools. We've got a great show for you today where we will be talking about data and informing small group instruction and what that can look like inside and outside of a general classroom. But first, some news and updates. So coming up in the month between now and our next episode, uh, we will have Responding to the Needs of Gifted Students on 926. Design Thinking for Teachers will be on October 18th. Dibble's Next Essentials Training is coming up. It'll be in the next month, uh, but the time and date are to be determined. Uh, Reading in the Rockies Conference in Vail is October 6th and 7th. And CDE's Reading Conference is October 10th. There's a waiting list for that one. It will be so exciting. I will be there and bring back news for next month's episode. As well as next month's episode, October 24th, we will be talking about whole group instruction and close reading in those spaces. So those are the classes coming up for elementary teachers in our Office of Professional Development. Some news uh, as we move forward before we get to uh, this month's topic. First, we have launched a podcast out of the Language Arts Office. So that is available on iTunes. It's available on Stitcher, if you know what Stitcher is. Um, and you can just search for E-L-A-Cast, one word. It's also available on the Language Arts blog. Uh, also, I wanted to take a second to talk about some of the district's efforts around helping students with dyslexic characteristics. So there may have been some conversation in your school around some pilot schools that have been selected to help think through how we meet the needs of those students and understand who those students are in our district. Those schools are meant as uh, incubators of these ideas. So thinking about how we can better uh, scaffold and support our foundational skills block in our elementary schools using the resources uh, from our ReadyGen uh, curriculum, but also finding out where those gaps are to help meet uh, specific student needs. So uh, hopefully, uh, through the great work of Kathy McCall and Sandra Vasquez and the entire team, we'll be able to get some of those resources out to elementary teachers to really think more deeply about what phonemic awareness means and how we help students to develop it. Uh, last piece uh, from our uh, ITCs in the Cubidrome, a couple of uh, ideas for how you might use those iPads that have shown up in your classroom. One, for second grade teachers, we are hatching chrysalises, or we're about to. Well, we're not really doing the work. That would be the work of the caterpillar. Um, but if you've got an iPad uh, and you want to think about how you might use time lapse to capture that and really study that with your students, your LTC or your ITC can help you out with that. The other piece in thinking about assistive technology in students who may be having uh, some may have some pre-literacy skills is using uh, iOS uh, to help students do text to speech and speech to text. Those speech are actually really rich and again your learning technology coach or your instructional technology coordinator in your school should be able to help you out with that so make sure you get a hold of them uh, speaking for help uh, let's think about how we can help our students in small group instruction and as we will start every episode uh, we were out at Thunder Valley where we talked with uh, Jessica Evans who's an MTSS and interventionist uh, and so she had this to say about her practice we are just getting ready to take our ready assessments and I am anxious to get that data back because that will be another filter for me to look through. Um, I tend to, I have reports pulled, um, this is last year's iReady data for kids that I'm working with in other grades. Of course, my first grade group doesn't have that, they didn't take it in kinder. 
but it's just another filter, another way for me to look through, um, or to look through to see what their potential gaps might be and what some teaching points need to be that I can filter into our small group lessons. Good job. And? Mm -hmm. I take, like, jotting down. They're not... They're monitoring notes-ish. It's nothing formal, just notes that I write myself in my plans. Every Friday I do progress monitoring. So for these kiddos, um, it's nonsense word fluency, just seeing, and that helps me to see how they can attack a word using their sounds. So that happens on Friday. I can kind of retool um, my lessons for the next week, seeing what letters coming out of their testing from last week, their vowels. Um, they were really struggling with E and I and you, and so that was something that I was thinking about this week as we went into instruction. Weekly progress monitoring for me differs because I need to make sure that it is um, normed, it's nationally normed, because we are gathering data points on kids to see kind of where they're performing, and if it's if they're performing below the 10th percentile, then we need to start kind of going another route um, as far as special ed might be concerned, or we might need to bring in some other people to the team to kind of look at the kiddos. Um, so the progress monitoring on a weekly basis is definitely a, a nationally normed assessment that we can kind of look at 10th percentile versus 50th percentile and kind of sort our kids up that way. So our groups, as far as intervention groups at um, Thunder Valley, are very flexible. Um, we try to look at kids with six in a six-week cycle. So this group started um, that second week of school. We kind of knew they were a high priority coming out of kinder. And um, that's why I started working with them. They might not be with me um, during the next six weeks of intervention. Um, we're also really trying to get a win time going here at Thunder Valley. So it's not just the interventionists working with kids. It's also the classroom teachers. Intervention groups range. Um, the shortest amount is a 20-minute group, and they can go up to 30-minute groups depending on um, the level of intervention, if they're tier one or tier two or tier three, the age. As far as making the decision to push in or pull out, I think it depends on the needs of the kiddos and what's happening in the classroom. So um, last year I pushed in for math intervention for my first grade students. It made sense for what they were working on, where their skills were at. It was best for me to be in there with them, hearing the language from the classroom teacher and then being able to apply that to my group. It depends on the needs of the students and kind of what they're doing in their classroom, how how wide the gap is, um, and and the sense of urgency maybe around where they're at in the process. The small group intervention in the classrooms here at Thunder Valley, um, we're really working on getting that ownership piece back into the classroom and having teachers um, be the experts and helping kids at the point of need that they see as well and that it's not just happening by one person or a couple of people that pull the kids out, that it can also help them um, happen within the classroom based on need and the teacher can address that. Some of our students need multiple in interventions throughout the day. They're going to ELL, um, they see maybe one person for math intervention, one person for reading intervention, and um, this year we're really having to prioritize, not necessarily ELL, I mean of course that's a given, um, we, we don't mess with that, but um, as far as like math intervention or reading intervention, we're having to balance that with our win time and look at it at six week cycles and try to prioritize what student um, needs that first. Um, right now, we do have a few students that are being pulled in both because their concerns are so high and we're further in the process. Um, as far as the MTSS process is a concern, we've deemed that they need it both, and so we're pulling them during win time right now and then another time that isn't where they're not missing content um, from their classroom. As far as planning for intervention and what resources um, that I use as I filter through a lot, it depends on what the kiddo needs. 
Um, if they need phonemic awareness, Sounds and Letters has been a really great um, resource for me. Um, it's also research-based, so I know that, that what I'm doing is, is grounded in something. I also like pulling up the iReady lessons. I think it's a great way to tie between what students need, and they come out in really great. I mean, they're very easy for teachers to use, and the resources are right there. Um, I've used LLI if it's more of a comprehension-based um, um, need. I've used that a lot um, for math, um, mostly iReady lessons, and kind of bridging from there and banking on my past experience um, and kind of knowing what works and what doesn't work with kiddos. Well, as far as relating the skills that we're doing here in intervention and getting that back into their classroom and the content, um, it, it looks different on some different levels. So for, for first grade, it's pretty, the gap isn't as wide, for example, right? I mean, they're working on their sounds. That's pretty applicable to what they're doing this time of year in first grade. Um, as it goes on, it's definitely a conversation between the classroom teacher and myself. Right now, one of my third grade groups, that's a big struggle, like in math in particular. I'm trying to look at his needs, then look at what the classroom is doing, what, what's third grade proficiency at this time, and making sure that I'm bridging what the work we've been doing to then what does it look like when he sees it in his classroom, so that it's not as isolated. So as far as planning for English language learners and my intervention time, um, I have collaborated with our ELL teacher, Angela Moreno, and we she's helped me to pool um, like their listening um, and their writing scores, because that's kind of the focus that I'm on. And so I've pooled the WIDA can-do descriptors. I'm sorry, I'm looking in my planning book, but, and I've just, it's just another filter for me to know what kind of language um, I need to be providing them with as far as sentence frames are concerned and some of that target language that we want them to be using. Um, so it's just another filter for me to look through the WIDA can-do descriptors and where they're at on their access scores. When thinking about interventions with our second language learners, um, I think we have a great wealth of resources um, in our SIOP training, and that's something that I go back to, um, and falling back literally on sentence frames and the forms and functions of language and analyzing language to see what kids need to be able to access um, that next level and to extend their language so they're not just speaking in a basic way. Um, and moving it more into that academic language. So we have a, a lot of resources available to us. The classroom teachers have uh, ReadyGen and, I, and iReady. I have my own progress monitoring, um, and I can dip into some of their data. They can dip into some of my data. So I think that collaboration on Fridays is really important. That's when we're able to kind of talk about what they're seeing coming out of their data, what I'm seeing coming out of my data, and have them converge. Um, Right now, I mean, pri primarily from the classroom standpoint, iReady helps me a lot to kind of see where they're at. Um, ReadyGen is a tool that's definitely that we're trying to use more as our teachers are becoming more familiar with it, being that this is the second year of implementation. I feel like that conversation will get deeper. I think it's hugely important for our, us as an intervention team to be communicating with one another. Um, and to be talking to our other resource teachers um, to make sure that we're all on the same page and kind of covering different bases. So kind of what am I going to take care of? What is she going to take care of? And then in turn, what is the classroom teacher going to take care of so that we can look at things more collaboratively? Shared language um, for us has been a big thing at Thunder Valley. It was even coming over from Frederick because we have kids with a lot of different needs, um, a lot of language needs as well, and so we want to be very explicit in what we are calling whatever it is. And it tends to come out of those collaboration meetings. I mean, we talk about how are you talking about segmenting? 
Um, we know that some teachers use their arms, we know that other teachers use their fingers, and as an interventionist, I need to be flexible in both of those ways so that I know that my kids will be able to be successful in their classroom. Um, but that's a huge piece of our collaboration, making sure what are we calling it, how are we doing it, um, aligning that as much as possible so that our kids don't get confused in the it. I mean, that's not what they need to be worried about. Thanks very much to Jessica out at Thunder Valley. Uh, fantastic uh, peek into what happens in her, her thinking as she's working with students. I want to welcome our panel here. We are, if I haven't already said it, we are broadcasting streaming live. Uh, I say that like it's like we just found the technology. Uh, at Timberline uh, Pre-K-8. Uh, our panel, starting from uh, my right, working left, uh, Sharon Bonner is a K-5 Title I coach here at Timberline. Travis DeArmond teaches uh, third graders uh, in all day in bioliteracy <laughs> model. And Kathy Rank is a third through five literacy and MTSS teacher. Thank you very much for joining us uh, for this conversation. I think it's going to be a, a great one. I'm thrilled to have this combination of kind of classroom and interventionist teachers. I think it's going to be really rich. You, I, I know that two of you had a chance to, mm -hmm. to watch Jessica's uh, segment earlier today. Anything that stood out from you as either kind of, oh, yeah, that, that's pretty much what, I, what we would expect from, from intervention or something that's kind of like, oh, this could look a little bit different depending on, on the culture of the school? I think one of the things that stuck out for me was um, the collaboration piece. I know that um, for us, um, we're actually in the same room, so it's nice for us to talk about students that way. But within our schedule, we get to talk to classroom teachers also a lot. Um, thankfully, it's a it's an important point. But I think without that collaboration piece, and she referred to that a number of times in her um, in her video and when she was talking about. It. So I think that piece is like the linchpin almost for how we look at groups, how we change groups, how we understand where students are um, as a staff and not just that silo of, as a teacher, I know this and you know that, but bringing that together for the students. So I think that was a big piece for her, so that collaboration piece. And how do we get collaboration so it's not just, oh, I need to say this, um, right? I'm thinking about, like, as a classroom teacher, the day is getting away from you and the kids are going to come back and all the, and like, and they're at specials, but I gotta go pick them up because then this is gonna happen. How do we make sure that it's not just I'm telling you things and really having space for collaborative consideration of student needs? What are some pieces that have worked for any of the three of you? Um, I, I think it's just finding out what other people are doing who are involved, just really finding out how what they're doing for kids. For example, like with my uh, on my pullout groups, I like to be in good communication mm -hmm. with the teachers that are doing that, especially for my newcomers, so I can know mm -hmm. exactly what's going on so I can support that in my classroom. So I think it starts with just having a clear understanding of what's, what's going on with everybody involved. And is that part of the day, or is that part of the week? Is that built in here at Timberland? Here it is built in. I don't know that it's built in everywhere, but we have uh, built-in collaboration time with grade level teams and uh, it's an every other week rotation for MTSS, which is my role. So I get to meet with every grade level team from K through five every other week for 45 minutes during their extra collaboration time, which is in addition to their planned time. So that is a huge yeah. bonus for us because mm -hmm. we get that time built in to collaborate. It's not on a teacher's plan time, it's not after school or before school or in emails. You get to have a face-to-face -face 
And I know that in our MTSS collaboration times, we follow a format so that we don't get off track. Mm -hmm. and well, I'm, and I'm thinking about how it's oval. That and did you right. and did you know this was happening right. and the, right. and and keeping mm -hmm. that from from happening. What's the format? Where's that? Is that something that's created in house or is it? it it's a it's just an agenda that okay. we create so that everyone has access to the agenda ahead of time and. Um, the agenda is created by me, but it's also created with input from the teachers. So if there's something we know we need to talk about next time, that automatically goes on to the agenda for the next meeting. And then with the MTSS process in our building, we've um, modeled it after the STEM design process. So okay. we, when we are discussing students and we're having a serious, not just a touch-based discussion, but a serious discussion about a student and we're trying to find some sort of solution, mm -hmm. we follow the steps of the design thinking process but in a way that relates to student problem solving. So Great. it keeps us on track. Yeah. I, I was going to say, but I wanted to um, just mention, so that's Timberline now, but mm -hmm. we've worked at other buildings before Timberline where we didn't have the benefit of that model and we still had to make that time for collaboration. And so I think going back to what Travis was saying around, you kind of have to know what are the key components that you want to talk about. So it's that culture of understanding I mean, people talk about a whole child, but it's that whole child within whatever the data piece that we're, that we're looking at. So if we're going to collaborate around reading, then I need to know what are the components that I'm responsible for and how can we have that discussion. So it's not um, a general discussion. It becomes very specific to then your collaboration becomes tight mm -hmm. and it becomes not too much time. It may have to take place somewhere different in the day, whether it's a planned time or mm -hmm. a lunchtime or whatever. But you can become super efficient at that if you have a common shared these are the things we're looking for. These are the things we want to make sure you're responsible for and you're responsible for, and then we're going to meet quickly about that. And I want to pick up a piece before I follow on okay. some of that, because there was a lot of really good stuff there. If I'm a teacher in a space that doesn't have the right. schedule, and, and Jessica spoke to this too, right. uh, if, it doesn't, if I don't have that room that's built in for collaboration, what's a way for me to advocate um, to the building leadership team or to the admin, like what are some solutions I might offer? Because I know uh, I'm, I'm thinking about like it's, it's not necessarily helpful to say, oh, we don't have enough time, right? right? Because right. Yeah. like I've never had enough right. time. I, I wouldn't know right. what that looked like. Right. Um, but how, what are some ways that a teacher might advocate for? Oh, here's how we could rethink this piece. What are some? I mean, how how might that work? And and I'm not looking for any exact answers, mm -hmm. but kind of how do we start to brainstorm some of those solutions? So one of the ways that we started, it's, it, it sounds weird, but one of the ways we started was simply email. And it was just a cultural expectation around when these kind of conversations start, these are the things you have to pay attention to. And then within them, we would start little, Travis and I would have a, have a discussion around this kid, and then we would pull Kathy in. And then we would go from there. So even though eventually you want the collaboration conversation to be like this, a mm -hmm. live conversation around that student, some of the seeding the ground work can be done through a Google Doc, through an email conversation, through other ways so that you're saving your time. Everyone's having their voice in one way, but then you're saving your time for the meet mm -hmm. when we meet like this. So when, I, when you say when these start conversations start to happen, mm -hmm. is that kind of here are the red flags that you see as a classroom teacher? Or like what, what are the, how did what you come up? Yeah, what starts, yeah, what triggers that process for you? When we used to be literacy interventionists, Title I literacy interventionists, we used to um, send emails, as Sharon said, 
every week to let classroom teachers know what we were working on because we found that there wasn't enough time. We didn't have the collaboration time built into our schedule, and that way they would know what we were working on in our small groups. Mm -hmm. So I think that was a start of a conversation. At least they would know what we were doing, and they could email back and tell us what they were doing if they chose to or if they needed to or if we had questions about how we can support what they're doing in the classroom. So that was a place that it started before we had the actual collaboration time built in. And I'm going to pause for a minute and say that if you have questions for our panel, you can tweet them at SVVSDLA or uh, send an email to Chase underscore Zachary within the district. Uh, I want to get back to Travis, when you want to start those conversations, right? So, I mean, we, we talk a lot in kind of interventionists. That's that's my lens. That's, that's, that's what, my, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's, my that's what you're looking at and right. that's what you're looking for. Right. How do you start those conversations when you maybe have a, a student in your room and it's just, this is not clicking? What, what's your process there? Well, I love, I love to come to talk to Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's so good at what she does. She is so, I feel, uh, Sharon, I just feel like anytime I need help, you're there for me. And so I think that just makes collaboration easy. So, you know, and I love what I do. I love helping kids learn. That's what I'm here for. Um, you know, so I just jot things down that I, oh, I need to talk to Sharon about this. I need to talk to her about that. And the idea of using the the email stuff, I mean, I think not every time it has to be a face-to-face -face right. collaboration. I mean, it, we can use those tools and get it done just effectively. Sometimes it really does call for a face-to-face right. -face meeting. Right. But, um, you know, I'm in the classroom, I'm finding out what's going on, and I know I have these, these resources that I can collaborate with. And I think what makes the difference, and this is definitely the case on my team, I, I'm so lucky, my team, we, we collaborate great. Mm -hmm. And we've been all together, this is our fourth year together, so we've, we've streamlined our collaboration. But I think the main thing for me is just knowing that there are people out there in the building who really want to help. I'm not putting them out. They, they, they're eager to help me. And that just makes a huge difference. And, I, and that leads to just getting more done together. And, and, and I want to, it sounds like to me... Yeah, oh, go ahead. I, can... I, just wanted, I just wanted to go off, and maybe this isn't after we can see where it plays in, but um, <laughs> collaboration versus collaboration light versus what is collaboration. Uh -huh. Because I think sometimes when we start talking collaboration, it becomes this very formal thing. Let's all set up a meeting after school. Let's all bring our data. Let's all do, and that's a type of collaboration. But I think sometimes you can think of collaboration in that small c or collaboration light, where we really are collaborating about a student. We're having a hallway conversation that's meaningful. Mm -hmm. It's not anecdotal. It's very meaningful. It's like, oh, I just did this assessment. Let me get that data to you. Oh, I I, I noticed this from the classroom, and we're we're really having those. So I think maybe there's um, like a continuum of collaboration. That's just a I feel like sometimes we say collaboration and we mean one thing where there's many things that can lead up to um, having thoughtful conversations around students and helping move students forward. Well, and it's part of it's coming with a purpose, not, I mean, right, there's checking in and then right. there's collaborating. Yes. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. well okay, so. I'll check in again later. Mm -hmm. uh, versus yes. no. this is a specific piece. A piece that I wanted to highlight there is that um, thinking about the, the teachers in the building as resources to support mm -hmm teachers to help support other teachers mm -hmm. as well as students, right? I've been in a number of schools where it, it feels like uh, students get pulled out and right. the, the teachers who are doing the pullout are there to support the students. Um, and, and I see it working so richly here and in other sites in the district 
where they are thinking, no, we are supporting one another, right? Um, right? So, and, and the other way is kind of, oh, I have an understanding of what's going on in that general classroom or the content that they're using or, or those pieces, and, and the, that helps to inform the intervention piece that's going on. Now, I, I do want to point out, we've talked about collaboration as though that's the topic of this, <laughs> yes, of this episode. So why, I'm going to bring it back, um, why is collaboration, why might a conversation about collaboration be key to successful small group instruction? Why is that, why might that be a keystone that the teachers should think about in their buildings? I mean, everybody has, other people have good ideas. And, (laughs) 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 you know, I think sometimes people get a little bogged down in just doing the things the way they've always done them. Mm -hmm. And, and, it's good to kind of listen to some new ideas. I, I think as teachers, we're always learning. We're always, uh, you know, most of us, I think, want to try new things. And so I think that's that's a big part of collaboration for me is just hearing new ideas and what other people might think about something. I'm, I'm talking about something I'm trying to work through. And someone raises a suggestion that, that I haven't thought of. And I just feel like that's going to be great for my practice and for my class or for that student. So... I think outside of a collaborative environment, you might just be limited to what you know. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, well, kids aren't a single data point. So your lens and your lens and my lens give us that kaleidoscope that's kids. And that kaleidoscope is constantly changing. So if we're not talking multiple measures or multiple views or multiple times for that student, then we're not really hitting that sweet spot of what that student needs at that moment, the more we talk, the better we can be at targeting exactly what that student needs and move them to the next place that they need. And then that's how small groups change and are fluid and form through those conversations. I found um, the last two years I, I have been working with kids who are struggling academically, obviously, that's my job as an interventionist, but I also had some time in my schedule the last two springs to take more flexible groups that could rotate through faster, and without the collaboration with teachers, you know, I would gather data, but looking at them as data points on a page was not the complete picture until I could talk to the grade level team at our collaboration and say, so... Here, kids, I'm thinking about pulling because they are so close to being where they need to be. All they need are these few little things, you know, or these are kids who don't have phonics, you know, this area phonics, and teachers can help me fill in that picture before we make a decision about which students I I might choose to rotate through groups quickly um, to fill in the gaps. A a piece that you... The three of you touched on there that I think is really important is, uh, right, because kind of I think the subtitle for this episode is like using data to inform mm-hmm. small groups, is, is that there are multiple ways of thinking about data, right? Mm-hmm. So we have, like, um, I think Jessica mentioned PALS data for right. the group that we got to watch her working with. Um, we've got Dibbles. We've got a, a lot of different assessment pieces, a lot of standardized pieces. But the, what you see happening when you're meeting with a small group of students, and then, Travis, what you see happening when you're meeting with some of those same students in right. small groups later in the week, have, putting that together as a full picture is incredibly valuable, yes. right? So yes. for Kathy, do you say, I just can't get through to Zach uh, on this concept? Mm-hmm. And, and many have tried, so yeah. you're not alone. <laughs> um, say, right? 
Um, but to be able to say that, like, we're working on syllabication. I very, we'll throw that out there. Uh, you may or may not work with students on that, but that's not important. And I just can't get them to do that. That that question of, well, Travis saying, well, when he was sitting next to these four kids, he seemed to really get it in class. Um, that piece of collaboration collaboration is just the sharing of multiple kinds of data right. is the piece that it sounds like that you're talking about. Is that a fair way of mm-hmm. thinking oh, like, about I things? I think that's an excellent, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I was going to say, bringing together more than one view. Right, mm-hmm. lots of lenses at, at right. understanding who a child is and what right. they're able to do and right. what makes them curious. Right. Um, so a piece that we talked on in that in the interview with Jessica as is her kind of thinking about here's how I might teach a concept to a child. And she was talking about the, mm-hmm, the yep. kinesthetic part mm-hmm. and then saying, but I watch and see how the classroom teacher does it right. too, right? Because, and I'm thinking about if we are talking about kids who are struggling with a, a mm-hmm. concept mm-hmm. And, I, and, in, and in your room we're doing it this way and with Travis we're doing it this way and, right. and then Shannon's got some weird thing where it's like, now jump up and down three times. Right, right. Um, that, that seems like an important piece too. Is there a piece, do you get to have that conversation before it's necessary? I mean, do you, are you at a stage as a, when thinking about small group and saying, here's how we talk about these concepts with kids, or asking, how do you talk about these concepts with kids? Would you mean between interventionists and classroom teachers? Yes. So for the last, this is year three of a model that we created um, here at Timberline where I have instructional paras that I support, I coach them, in addition to working with classroom teachers around small group. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of the model is for um, the beginning of the year, we are part of the class culture, so we understand, we move into, they come in during our intervention block and learn what the classroom teacher mm-hmm. expectations are, not just around behavior, but around some simple things in instruction. And then I'm the liaison between how to support them um, in their small group instruction with what that classroom teacher has expectations, mm-hmm. right? So that's kind of our model. I don't know that we've gone great full grade on that mm-hmm. I think we're still there's still some some growth points there mm-hmm. for us on what does third grade look like overall around some of these things what does second grade look like overall for some of those things but certainly we have seeds for it mm-hmm. but um, I, I don't know that we're culturally at this is how we all do X or this is how we all do Y no but I have heard Sharon talking for example to our kindergarten team about letter sounds and, and which to introduce when and, and having conversations around it. It's not that great decisions have been made necessarily, but it does come up. Yeah. It just I know that I'm not as good at that as I probably should be. So it's I'm still evolving at, you know, that kind of conversation. Right, right, right. And and it is also working against kind of hundred and fifty years of mm-hmm. what right. public education has been. Right. Right. Uh, right. You know, at least we're yeah. we're a multi room schoolhouse now rather right. than the other school, school teacher yes. is about right. fifty, a hundred miles away. Good luck. Right. <laughs> um, so we've shifted that, thankfully. Yeah. Um, I want to shift a piece. So last year, August first, my first day of this job um, was uh, training on these new resources, literally the first day. Um, And I had to stand in an auditorium uh, at a school and everyone was terrified we were taking away their small group. Um, right, that was, and, yes. and, and, and like yes. people were stopping me in the hall and saying, I can't do everything, whole group. Right. And, and, and I think folks are at a place where they realize that is not the expectation. Right. Uh, and the way that I've thought about it 
and, and I don't know that this metaphor will transfer without me being able to draw it on a, a wide erase, dry erase board, but the way that I've thought about it is that whole group instruction is us working toward the main, the center of a maze, but every student entering the maze at a different place, mm. right? So we're all trying to get to the same place in whole group instruction, mm -hmm. but we're all gonna take different pieces. So some of that might look like some cooperative learning pieces. Um, I might do a first read and then you and I talk about what we've read and you do a second, like, but we're working toward that same educational sure. outcome and understanding. Sure. And that small group is where we say, but what are the general skills that a reader might, that the readers in our classroom need to work on, mm -hmm. um, right? And so that they're complementing, just overarching. So we're kind of focusing on getting to a heart of a text here mm -hmm. in whole group, mm -hmm. and we're just making all texts available in small group. It's kind of it's a, the way I've tried to explain it to some folks. So Travis, I want to point to you uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> and say, how do you think about what data do you use to decide what students are in small groups? as you're sitting down, knowing that we've shifted models on as a, as a district to, and that there is that whole group expectation and you know you're working on some of those overarching, <coughs> excuse me, overarching skills. How do you sit down and think, all right, what, what's small group gonna look like? Okay. Um, well, I have my actual small group time and, and, and there's another small group that I do within the whole group. A so, smaller um, group. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, and, I'll, and I'll talk about the small group within the whole group first. Um, what I do there, whenever I'm doing any activity, this is math, this is just a generalized thing that I've developed in my practice. What I do is whenever there's an activity that we're doing, especially one that, that produces a product, something in writing, um, I'm walking around and I'm just quickly assessing how well is it going for students. It's a whole group activity. I've explained the kids are doing it. And then the second that I see that someone's struggling with it or it could be that I have anticipated that this is going to be a, a challenge for this student, I have them come right up here to the carpet and work in the small group within <laughs> the whole group. So I just have physically, just, yeah, just just for efficiency, they're just all there together. <laughs> One, I know who they are. They tend, they tend to have the same more or less challenges there. And so that's a type of small group work that I do every day within my whole group. Mm -hmm. um, but I want to pause and take yeah. that apart because I think people might be thinking, well, that's not what whole group looks like, right? Um, right? So mm -hmm. there's still some, some folks who are of the mind of, like, we're all doing exactly the same thing the right now. We all, <laughs> and that is a part of it, right? There is, like, when I'm doing that first read aloud sure. of a book, we should all be exploring it because I want it to, it, like, we need it to feel accessible to all students. We, we all are doing the same thing. The only difference is the level of support. Mm -hmm. um, at the tables, I, I just have a lot of different levels of support, even within whole group. I have partners. Mm -hmm. I have independents who have told me, I, I want to, because we have the Emerge Genetics and we're really learning who we are. Uh -huh. And I ask my kids, are you someone that would really just rather work alone? Mm -hmm. Like I would, only a few. But I want to honor that. So I, I just, you know, I try to find that balance of support within the whole group. And uh, I wouldn't say that it, in my classroom it would look like just uniformity. Like everybody's doing, everybody's, everybody is trying to accomplish the same objective, but the levels of support are diverse throughout the room during that time. And that's a piece of data too, right? Is um, formative data of like, okay, this isn't working for this group. So right. let's pull them together and then right. push them. And it's going to be different kids because that's right. the other piece Flexible. that we saw, right? With right. small groups, it, mm -hmm. like you got leveled. 
um, yes. right? And you were in this, and and very rarely did we see any kind of data that said a kid moved. Right. Um, and we know what kind of identities that starts to create for right. students, right? Most adults could probably tell you what reading group they were in right. as a kid. Right. Um, you were about to say something, though. I was just going to say, but you're giving the same lesson. Yeah. He hasn't changed the lesson. Right. Right. The lesson is still the lesson that you want all of your students to get. It's just a matter of the support that you're pulling in. So the whole group maintains the integrity of whole group. That is the grade level lesson that all kids are getting. And I yeah. think that's a key point. And it makes it accessible, right? right. So right. I was having a conversation with some special education teachers who were talking about, oh my gosh, all of our students feel like they that this is a book that's accessible to them, mm -hmm. right? And the, and some of it may just be looking at what's happening on the page. It may not be, mm -hmm. right? It may not right. be really decoding sure. and fluent and all those pieces. But the conversations allow them to have opinions about the texts. And all of a sudden, reading seems more po possible. Right. And then I would say that feeds into small group of like, I do want to be able to do mm -hmm. that at a level that everybody else, all my peers are doing. Right. Like that's a that's a piece of it too. So now let's talk about that's the big small group. Um, <laughs> how do you think group. about how does data help inform the small group? Well, of course, I use the classic sources of data for forming my groups. I, I look at the iReady data that's available to me because I'm a bilingual teacher. Though the the, the data piece that is the most important to me is, is at the beginning of the year is the access data. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of groups based just on language level mm -hmm. sure. and language skills because really in here, I'm, I'm sure it really should be the case in every classroom, but this is a language learning environment. We are learning language. No matter what we are doing, we are learning language. <laughs> and so um, I'm using the access data quite a bit. Also, just my direct observation of personalities uh, and, <laughs> and who can... You're saying that plays a... Some sort of role in grouping. I'm going to suggest it as a possibility. All right, I'll take it. You know, I think it does. I've noticed when um, I've noticed when you give kids a little bit of choice in who they can pair up with. It needs mm -hmm. to be some. I mean, it really depends. It just everything depends on something. I think, but, <laughs> but it you know sometimes it's high low, sometimes it's not. But the partnering. But when kids have a choice about who they could work with, and they really understand how to be a good partner, and they can really work together within that small group, another group within a group. Mm -hmm. But I, I consider that quite a bit when I'm putting kids together in groups too. Well, and what you're saying makes me think about last uh, month's episode where we were talking about routines and structures, um, right? In the video with Susan Tatum and our, and our panelists talking about, oh, I spend a lot of time making sure everybody can use those structures. Mm -hmm. right. So it isn't, it isn't kind of let's all sit here and individually do it like and you're not like working around and then work like a windshield wiper uh, right. around a kidney shaped table uh, right also I don't think this is what a kidney looks like um, but it's like not a healthy one, <laughs> a healthy one no. uh, so it, it's it's also kind of what are the structures within small group that that work so Taking access data is what I hear, and and I think a lot of people would say, oh, I look at my iReady data. Of course. And then thinking about, and we talked a little bit about what kind of phonemic awareness and phonics mm -hmm. pieces like that, too. Mm -hmm. So especially in our uh, earlier, in our primary grades, what right. accessing letters and, and what that might look like. Mm -hmm. um, and then? And then, well, we, that kind of leads into the structure. My, my group time is based into two rotations. They're 22 minutes each. And the kids know exactly what to do. This, this is one of the toughest parts of my job, which my 
old career in accounting really helps me with this. <laughs> so what I do is I just figure out what, what basically are all my resources. There's me. I have 10 spots I have for the, the groups. There's my interventionist. I have a certain amount of technology devices. I have an amount of time that I know kids need to be on iReady for wherever they're at, and I collaborate with Sharon on that. Same for uh, Lexia as well. And then maybe kids at a certain level, I want to try to give them just a little bit more of my time, hire kids, more independent activities. And so all of this comes down to a schedule that I create that I know that, that and I just monitor it like crazy and hold them accountable and look it's right there on the wall <laughs> and the kids know what to do they go to they know it's tuesday it's rotation one i am an eagle i'm with mr Diarmid, and they come and then there are structures within that group setting of That's how to do the group <laughs> and then um then the pandas will say oh i'm on i ready right now and it's all planned and so and i monitor it very, very closely, and I let the kids know what the expectations are, and they do it. And 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 we're making. You know, last year we had we had great growth. So let me talk about uh, kind of when it's time to break up as a small group, mm-hmm. um, right? So like, because I'm I'm thinking about kind of cooperative learning strategies. The kind of thinking is your teams are together for six weeks. How are you? How, how, how do you look at, like, who gets pulled for an intervention and who, like, when do they stop coming to you? Or when does that shift, um, right? Because if we're talking about small groups based on skills, at some point, one would hope that the students master those skills, right? Not like, ah, we'll be doing this for 180 days. Um, so how do you... Collaborate with your interventionist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Keep in touch with the interventionist. That, to me, that's the big thing. Um, be in constant communication with the interventionist and 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 plan that together, mm-hmm. and re, and have assessments plan. We're going to reassess at this point. Myself, I prefer to have my interventionist work with my 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 high kids who are not high kids, but my kids who are uh, high yellow, mm-hmm. just just on the cusp of being proficient. Mm-hmm. I like to have a focus there at least at the beginning of the year, and uh, I think I said this at the very beginning. Just. Just stay in communication. I think if right. one person just kind of like, okay, this is my job. I come in, I do groups, and the teacher's like, okay, do whatever you do, whatever Miss Bonner told right. you to do in there. You know that to me, I see an interventionist as like an absolute golden asset. Right. I have a whole nother person here to help me. Right. Well, and it and it changes because a lot of what people said when there was a shift from from a focus on small group instruction was, right. I don't get to see every kid every day. Right. Um, There's that, I need to check the box. But do you right have to? Mm-hmm. Well, to and that's effective. my question. Do you need to? I mean, you. the basis of your job is that you don't get to see every kid that's right. every day. That's right. So how do you cope with that? And how do you how do you feel like, oh, I'm maintaining a good picture of students as I'm, as I'm working with them? Sorry to talk too much. Yeah. I think <laughs> you're making... <laughs> you're, no, it's okay. I think you're making intelligent decisions about releasing responsibility. Mm-hmm. As as kids are able to do more and prepare to do more, they, they need to have that. They need to have mm-hmm. some time on their own mm-hmm. to work independently and, and be productive independently. So I think we can release them to that. And we don't have to see them every single day. Sure. And I think data... Linda's going to say it, and my principal's going to laugh because this is what she says too. But um, we use... I mean, I, I'm collecting data on students all the time. 
whether that's anecdotal data, whether that's a progress monitoring of some sort, whether that's a Dibbles check-in, whether that's a Corphonics, whether that's a teacher-created um, formative assessment of some sort. Just we're constantly looking at where are kids and where do they need to be and how do I get them there. So it's not, yep. um, it's pretty structured. It's not just I think. When Travis says um, these kids are moving, we look well. How do we know? Are they? How do we know they're moving? Mm -hmm. What are the assessments that we can say that we trust amongst ourselves that says yes, this kid is moving? Well, and, and oh, words per minute went up on this assessment. They were able to answer this, the three comprehension questions, and they weren't able to do that independently before. And you know their whole group discussion of what we were doing. So we're noting these things and we're keeping track of those things. And that's how we flex. That's how we move. And and part of my sadness sometimes comes from folks saying, well, they're, the small groups will change when we redo iReady. Me too. Right? But that is the piece and it makes, it kind of makes sense. Um, like I get the logic that leads to that. Uh, but it also, I feel like, oh no, you're, you're assuming that a student's needs aren't shifting as they're learning. Right. Well, and we yeah. know that data, I'm sorry, go ahead. No. I was going to say, we just know that data is old very quickly. Mm -hmm. Students are changing mm -hmm. very quickly. Because so. Right. And iReady is wonderful, but it doesn't give you the nuts and bolts. If you look at the phonics score in iReady and it shows that they've grown, that doesn't tell us what they're doing better and what they're not doing better. And what they if need you, more. If you don't have any sort of other assessment to say, you know, I did a core phonics, and I've noticed that in these areas you're now proficient. That gives me a lot more information that I can use to, for instruction, to guide my instruction when I have an assessment that really shows me exactly what their needs still are and where, they, where they've grown and have mastered skills. So. I'm just getting so excited to answer. I'm sorry that it was like, <laughs> ah! Uh, but the, the piece that I... <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but the piece that I would say... Uh, as I'm thinking about it, is we have students who are on read plans, right? right. And 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 if exiting a read plan is dependent only upon iReady data, mm -hmm. right. then we are asking that assessment to do more than it was designed right. to do. Right. Um, and what we'll put in the in the show notes here is, and I think it's a helpful reminder, is that body of evidence, body of, yes, exactly. right? And so, and what does that mean? And so, asking not, oh, did they grow? But starting with that read plan and saying, how will we know? Right. Mm -hmm. right? What is it right. what is it we're aiming for right. here? Uh, and small group is a great way to to pull those pieces in. Um, and I'm thinking about kind of the quick checks sure. um, in PALS, PALS are really absolutely. helpful. Yep. Uh, just mm -hmm. dropping that piece in um, with the benchmark uh, pieces that and the LLI. I mean, there's right. a ton right. of stuff that is available the progress there. Monitoring Dibbles, for Dibbles, progress right. monitoring, running records, Income, all of those pieces. Right. Um, I'm going to ask one more question for me and uh, encourage the folks who are watching the stream to either tweet at SVVSDLA or uh, Chase underscore Zachary at SVVSD.org. If you have some questions for our panel before we close things down, uh, I want to shift from inside the building and say, what does collaboration with families look like? Uh, mm. Right? So thinking about small group, and that's some really targeted progress. I think that there's some, some pieces there for helping families understand supporting their students. But it also has to be without a degree in literacy mm -hmm. and without a degree in education, right? right? So, uh, and sometimes with some differences in language. Right. Um, right. So how do, we, how do we help have small group support happen? How, is, how do we make families interventionists on their own as well? You narrow it down. So you narrow it down to something that the family can be successful at, something that the student can be successful at, 
you give the student opportunity to practice that here with you, let them become the teacher for the activity, and then we have a nice, um, we're moving into a different um, uh, conference model, <laughs> so we're having more uh, conferences, whole uh, whole group of parents, where we're giving them the opportunity to learn some skills, mm -hmm. and then following up on those skills, so that um, they can support their students throughout a month or six weeks, before we, we ask them to check in to do those kind of things. But I think it's um, it's having really simple conversations around, here's the one little thing that you can do now. Parents are hungry for that. Parents mm -hmm. love that. Um, and they don't have to be experts if you help the child. First, first graders and kindergartners can be mm -hmm. experts on, these are my alphabet cards, and this is what I need to do. Mm -hmm. And my mm -hmm. teacher's helping me, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to practice mm -hmm. that this way, up to you know close reading passages for kids who need to work on those things. But make the student the expert in that one small area, and they can teach their parents on how to support them to do that. I, I really agree with that uh, on academic items. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think one of the things I try to do the most with parents, it's difficult because uh, almost all of the parents in, in, from the kids in my classroom speak Spanish as their first language and not any, very little English, if any. Of course, mm -hmm. we can do academic skills and mm -hmm. What we can do in one language, we can transfer to another language. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know. This is just what kind of came to me. I, I, I like to really <laughs> inspire parents to encourage kids just to feel great about being right. in school. I write, we have a planner every single day that the kids take home with their, their behavior color. And we might not all be on grade level in here, but we know how to do school. Mm -hmm. We know how to behave. We know how to pay attention and do a great job on that. And I'm putting notes in there positive notes to parents you know, and the kids get excited about school yeah. you know they, they want to do it they're not messing around they're they're really good you've seen them in the house back well, me up they are so well behaved <laughs> <laughs> they're so they're so good I, mean, I don't know. I mean, one of them gave me a real mean look. He didn't know you. That's and this also could be me. Yeah. Uh, well, in a piece that I talk about in, in, in thinking about kind of interventionist, and then we we have a, a question here is um, uh, connecting that small group time in those last five minutes to whatever a whole group practice was. Oh, yeah. So, what's the text your students are reading right now? In whole group? The case of the gasping garbage. So gasping garbage, and so saying at the end of that small group time, like just sliding the book across the table and saying. Could, do what we just did in this thing mm -hmm. over here. What are you? And mm -hmm. so actually asking students to make that transfer in that moment mm -hmm. can do be it all huge. The time. That's and a then big talking, part of what we, that is mostly what we do. Right, small because if, it, if all I know is this key unlocks this door, right. I never know, oh, this is a universal key to all these doors. Like mm -hmm. all books become a little more accessible right. to me. If I can do that, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I like the language around student as expert, mm -hmm. because sometimes when we looked at our old model, had students in, you know, reading level and you weren't known as the expert, mm -hmm. but students are experts in their own learning. Mm -hmm. And so when you give them that that language that they can teach mom or dad or baby brother or each other something, whether it's that simple skill or whether yep. it's something more complicated, it changes their focus. Well, just asking at the end of a small group, what could you teach someone else? Right. Mm -hmm. And right. just just write that down or I'll write it down for you. I'm like just giving them that piece. Um, and I'm also thinking about if I'm a family member who's picking up a student and right. they're like, tell, tell me about tell this, me. right? Like right this there. rather yeah, than right. how was school, oh, so good, what'd you learn? Nothing. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so Tanisha Lucero at Columbine Elementary says, how do you cultivate student engagement in small group instruction? So how do you keep them interested in that, in that task? Well, I made sure that 
I make sure that the task is appropriate to, to that group. If the task is too easy or too overwhelming, then that can create some problems. And another thing, it may sound really simple, I am prepared. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking around to try to find, find the book something. or something like that. Um, I think just those simple things can go a long way. Let's assume that that's already happening. Um, challenge the kids with something we've already done in whole group. Mm -hmm. And then they get that chance in small group to kind of do it, it mm -hmm. and encourage collaboration within the small group. Mm -hmm. uh, we do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I, I was gonna say, do it again. And I think that um, when I pull students for small groups, they're often quite quite the, the tier three, the kids with really high needs. They, look at the assessments. I don't show them the I-Ready scores because the, it's a number and mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean a lot to them, but I do show them their Corphonic scores and they're color-coded so they can see where they are excelling and where they are not excelling. And then we talk about why they're in my group in the first place. Mm -hmm. They know why they come. And they know it's because there are things that they still need to know that they haven't learned. And, and, and do you ask them first what they expect to see? Do they do any prediction? I don't usually um, because I don't know that they would know for, for the younger kids, the categories don't mean a lot to mm -hmm. them, mm. And, and except for letter sounds mm -hmm. and, and letter names, that kind of thing. But when you get into higher categories, not so much. Um, but the older kids see growth because every time we take that test, they, the scores are aligned for each time right next to each other. And I have, for my fourth and fifth graders, I have their last year scores on there. Mm -hmm. So they can see how much red has turned to gr yellow and yellow has turned to green and mm -hmm. so forth. Um, but they need to know why they're there. And mm -hmm. if they don't know that they're there because they are behind, in, in nice terms, you say that nicely, but mm -hmm. they're, they're there because they're behind. And that we have work to there's, do. There's a lot and of stuff there, to learn yeah, in the world. There is no time to mess around because you need to know, need to know this. Know. And so I've, I've had kids who, they're used to coming to small group and messing around, and that's not what we do when we're in my group because we're you don't do have some time. Learning right, learn you don't have time to mess around. We, we have all of this Clip them learn. down and put it in the planner. <laughs> but those are my two things. I mean, small group is my baby, and my two things are objective and pace. Mm -hmm. The kids have to know why they're there, and your pace has to be quick. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to waste. Mm -hmm. yeah. and so if, if we're getting off task, it means you're not following with the objective. objective. And mm -hmm. so it's like it's stated, it's clear, you need to do this. And I think the objective has to be tied to why. Mm -hmm. So it's not just I'm going mm -hmm. to compare and contrast characters. Well, why, are, why am I doing that? Because in the book that you're reading in whole group, this is an important key right. that you are missing, and you're going to be it's going to be a richer experience for you if you understand that. So There's, get that here for there. The, the piece that I've been saying is that um, we should ask kids to do a little bit more than we think they can. Absolutely. Um, right? Because we want to take care of them, so we mm -hmm. probably think they can do this, and then we end up asking them to do a little right. bit less. Yeah. So that engage that pace, and then like mm -hmm. do a task that they're going to that struggle with, and right. let, them, let them play with it. Right. Yeah. We are just about out of time, so okay. I want to thank the three of you and Jessica. Um, for helping us out. Um, I want to say to the folks who are taking the course for credit uh, that you may notice that in Schoology, if you were there last week or last month and here again, Schoology will automatically create um, that Google Doc for you for the homework assignment. Um, it'll ask you to authenticate and put in your name. That'll just trust it and give it the access. Um, that is all on the up and up. Um, also, for those of you who are not watching it, who are maybe uh, with a group, or maybe watching it on your, watching us on your own, uh, the discussion questions are in the discussion forum. So I want to thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank Ben Kalb for uh, being our engineer, and thank you to Sandra Vasquez uh, for being the producer of this month's episode. We'll see you again October twenty fourth, where we talk about whole group formation and specifically thinking about. 
close reading. So thanks very much for watching the SBVSD Elementary Roadshow. <laughs> Let's give them something to talk about.